Welcome to PDX-ish with your host, Byron Beck. PDX-ish is a podcast based here in Portland, Oregon, but it's not just about Portland. PDX-ish is also about pop culture, politics, and pretty much whatever else pops up in Byron's brain. Byron talks about things you never should and asks his guests things you never would. So let's get on with the show. PDX-ish is now. Welcome to PDX-ish. I'm your host, Byron Beck, and we are here in the Ned Space space at the Bigfoot Podcast Studio, and we are getting ready for the holidays. And one of the things we do around the holidays is uh, we imbibe in in wine. We, we love wine. We love wine. I thought it would be fun to talk to one of the uh, most uh, amazing people I know in, in Oregon who happens to sell wine. I guess. Sell wine. Yeah. Talk about wine. (laughs) Talk about wine. Well, she loves Oregon. She loves wine. And she has uh, combined her passions into uh, her amazing business that is in Southwest Portland. And it is called Cellar 503. Welcome to the show, Carrie Winecoop. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, Let's talk about uh, Cellar 503. It's been around how long? It's been around five years next month. Five years. I think I went to your very first opening where you... uh, uh, presented your very unique concept of how you look at what you do with wine. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about what you do with wine? Absolutely. So we are a wine club, similar to a winery wine club, but instead of sending our members wines from just one winery, we send them wines from small producers all over the state. Is that a, a benefit for the wines, wineries, or is it, it who, it, how do I say this? So I, I, I went to a wine dinner last night. I went to Doing Serene, who has just opened a wine lounge in Lake Oswego, and it's was really beautiful but they have this big clubhouse they have a downtown location they have an opportunity to do things on a pretty big scale scale. yeah Yeah. so tell us uh, why that's different with the people you work Mm -hmm. so I work with the little guys so people who make less than 10,000 cases a year although Mm. most of my folks are substantially smaller than that and about 85% of the wineries in Oregon make less than 10,000 cases a year and most of them fall into that category of folks that you're not going to see in the grocery store you're not going to see even at a local wine shop you may only get access to them if you happen upon their tasting room or a friend gives you a bottle and I fell in love with these wines do you remember Uh, the first one that you kind of discovered in Oregon that was the I do. Uh, I have a very good memory of it. Um, unfortunately, they are no longer around, okay. but it was a small winery outside of Medford in Southern Oregon. And it was literally through the river, across a bridge, up a gravel road, no cell reception. And we stumbled upon it while we were wandering around. And it was a retired firefighter from uh-huh. Medford. And he decided to plant some vines build his own tasting room, teach himself how to make wine. And I thought, this is amazing wine that no one is ever going to taste. Right. Because he was never going to get out of his small neighborhood. And I wanted to be able to share this amazing wine, but also to tell his story. So I'm really focused on helping these little guys get out there in the world, um, helping to tell their stories, and helping the consumers to find some wines that are not just your typical $65 bottles of Pinot from the Wool. Lamette Valley, but help them understand that there's more going on in Oregon. I think it's really interesting you uh, talk about stories because a big part of what you do is a storyteller. Absolutely. And that's really uh, what I notice when I'm at your uh, 
wonderful facility on Southwest Corbett. Yes, mm-hmm, that's Southwest. where we are. Uh, tell us um, a little bit about uh, another. Tell us another story of a of a producer or a small. Uh, winery that you're in love with right now? Um, I have always been in love with Jackalope Wines. Mm. Corey Schuster is their winemaker. I I featured a wine from his very first vintage in our very first shipment five years ago next month. And we call him our Craigslist winemaker. He was an engineer who decided he was done with the engineering world. So he quit his job and he said, I will take any job I find on Craigslist for a day. Anything I can talk my way into, I will do for a day and see how I like it. And he talked his way into working at a tasting room down in the valley, and he completely fell in love with wine. He had no experience, but they hired him. He fell in love with wine, and then he started from the ground up working in um, picking grapes all the way to the cellar, and then eventually opening his own um, brand called Jackalope Wines. And I love that story. It's it is very different here, isn't it? It is. I mean, I know that we are compared a lot to France because we're on the same parallel, the 45th parallel, mm-hmm. and that uh, this is a great place to grow Pinot Noir and stuff like that. But it really does seem to uh, uh, be a dream for some mm-hmm. people to do have their own wine and winery, uh, tasting room. Uh, sure. Right, right. Yeah, so many of my winemakers um, have not ever had any formal training. They loved wine, they grew up drinking wine, or they went off on these grand adventures in college and Mm. fell in love with wine in different places, and then really decided to pursue that as their passion. And Mm. most of the folks that I work with just work their way up. Um, They start, you know, somebody, they convince someone to help them out during harvest and um, teach them the ropes, and then they eventually merge into having their own labels. What does it mean to the wineries to have you on their side? Well, it's really an opportunity to tell their story to a much larger audience. You know, I really feel like these wineries are my partners. Mm -hmm. Um, I try to include them in as many things as possible. I bring them to events. I feature their wines in publications around the country when Mm -hmm. I get interviewed. Um, It's really uh, an opportunity for them to get the word out about themselves and for me to get the word out about how amazing Oregon wine is and the stories of these small folks. Sure, and in Cellar 503, 503 refers to to basically our area code, right? Yep. As we also have seller 541, I think. But, <laughs> but, uh, but the thing is, why don't we have a seller 509 or a seller 206? Um, well, 206 is up in Washington. I, I love Washington wines, but really my original passion is Oregon. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been here since college and knew that I was going to make my home in Oregon and spent a lot of time, um, just exploring different wineries here in the state. Um, and you know, 503 is the historic area code of Oregon. I do get occasionally a grumpy winemaker down in Southern Oregon who's like, you don't represent the five. 541 down here, but really it's an homage to the entire state and the the original founding of the wine um, program here in Oregon. We know you have to love the wine, but do you have to love the winemaker? No, that's a great question. 
Yeah, I yeah. I do. I think to be able to tell the stories, you have to find something that you love about every winemaker. And I am fortunate that almost everybody I meet with has some sort of great aspect to their stories right. um, that I love to tell and that is something unique. So I would say I'm pretty lucky in that just about everybody I meet, I love. And you're pretty diplomatic because, I mean, you, <laughs> I have, a ba- you have a background in politics. I do. And uh, you've done a lot of work in Oregon politics and neither uh, we will not get into what uh, her 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 partisan side yet I mean we're not gonna she's a, a bipartisan seller club right yeah everyone loves wine whether you're Republican or Democrat <laughs> or independent or exactly Green Party or yes um, yeah so I think it's interesting that you are probably the perfect person to do this because you have done work on a statewide level and you're and this is gonna sound weird but you're respectful of of the communities mm. which which these people grow their wine, mm-hmm. and that's I think that's a really important part of mm-hmm. your story, is that you, the respect you you uh, you know there might be a little hipster urban winery in a garage or in a basement down on Clinton Street, but the fact is you're as dedicated to that person who's in. Uh, you know, Umatilla mm-hmm. and doing something with goats, you know mm-hmm. I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, that's been always been really important to me. Um, as a consumer, I always wanted to try new things from different places and have not just the same bottle of wine over and over and over again. And there's so much diversity in wine in this state. It is amazing to me. We have featured 56 different varietals, different types of wine in the club. Different. 56 And um, we have worked with almost 200 wineries in all 19 of the AVAs all here 19. in Oregon. All 19. Which is the hardest one to work with, like Harney County? I mean, Snake River Valley Snake River is River. the hardest because there is only one winery on the Oregon side of the Snake River Valley AVA. So where would that be? That's way down there. Baker in City. Baker City. Yep, on the, on the border with Idaho. Um, so I w- always wanted to tell people about all of the different things going on in Oregon that we're more than just one thing. We're more than just the Willamette Valley. We're more than just the urban core. You know, there's urban wineries. There's um, really rural ones. There's Southern Oregon, which is doing vastly different varietals than right. here in the Willamette, right. which I love those varietals down there. They're a little tangier, right? They're bigger because yeah. it's warmer down yeah, there. Yeah. So they're doing great things with Tempranillo and Grenache and Albarino that there are some of those growing up here in the valley but they're very different styles uh, uh you know um flattery is the biggest uh i mean uh copying or uh you know imitation is imi- the sincerest form of flattery yeah imitation <laughs> that's the word i'm looking for and I, I i wonder if people are picking up on what you're doing and trying to copy you um, nobody's really doing exactly what I'm doing focusing why, why on Oregon. I don't know. Um, I mean, the reason why I started Seller 503 is because I was looking for a club like this. Yeah. I wanted somebody to send me wines from small producers just within Oregon. And is it harder, though? I mean, is it the research, the 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 curation, uh, it seems like it would be so much more difficult than working with just like a few wineries. Mm-hmm, for sure. I mean, I spend a lot of my time traveling to places throughout the state. I spend a lot of my time going out and tasting. I meet every winemaker in person. I visit every winery in person because I want to get that story from them. So it definitely takes a lot of effort, but it's also the most fun part of my job. Um, this is going to be hard. Uh, have you ever turned a winery down? I 
never, you don't have to answer. Yeah, that. I never promise a winery that I'm going to feature a, a wine. I always say that I'm, you know, creating a big list of all yeah. the wines that I love. I have a different theme for every month. Yeah. So I say as I look ahead at my themes, I might choose something that works. Um, but there, uh, very, very rarely do I find a winery that doesn't have at least one wine that I think would be a good fit for the um, club. Uh, it's kind of, it's interesting, like coffee too, because coffee, we're, uh, is a, we're trying to, f- you know, I noticed with a lot of my friends like Proud Mary uh, Nolan, who owns Proud Mary out of Melbourne and Portland, now going into Austin, Texas, he, uh, it's, he feels it's his duty to find the small producer and help them ha- change their lives, mm-hmm. you know, and do you find that you're changing the lives of the uh, veterinaries you're working with? I certainly hope so. Um, I definitely get feedback from folks who say that things, uh, once that I have featured them in the club, that they get phone calls from some of the Seller 503 members who want to order more or that they start to get attention from other folks. Um, We always have a big festival every year at the end of April called Poor Oregon. And I invite all of our winemakers to come to that. And they say that, especially the folks from outside the Portland area, they get so much more attention from the consumers in Portland. So, I wasn't able to go this year, but I went the year before, and I think it's one of the coolest wine events I've ever been to. Thank you. And uh, definitely uh, a way, it reminds me kind of like Feast, but for wine, mm-hmm. and that uh, you really get to meet people and fall fall in love, Absolutely. fall in love with wines, and fall in love with these people mm-hmm. who are doing really, really fun things. And, you know, they're, they're diverse groups of mm-hmm. people. There are... Uh, people who are lgbt mm-hmm. there are people that are 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 it's just not women mm-hmm. you know women when women winemakers mm-hmm. which is i think is really exciting to uh to not you know to allow them to feature themselves and not solely on the basis of you know their minority status but uh because they have a really good product and Absolutely. they're in a situation where they're allowed to maybe do something that in a more traditional, I mean, it's a pretty conservative business. Correct? It is a very conservative business. It is mostly white men in yeah. this business. Yeah. And it's really encouraging to see um, that the next generation of winemakers is coming up and you're seeing a lot more women. You're seeing a lot more diversity of thought and experience and background. Um, but it's still definitely a struggle. And is that changing the wine? How we, uh, is the, the changing face of winemakers changing how we, how wine is made? That's a great question. Um, You know, every winemaker has their own style. They have their own um, take on what the wines are. You know, you could have a Pinot Noir from 2016 from five different wineries, and you can have five completely different bottles of wine, which is why I love wine. And so I think every winemaker brings a different take on it. Right. Um, certainly, I um, I try really hard to support women winemakers. We spend one month every year just talking about women winemakers. Um, and I do think they have a different perspective right. on it, a different style on it. Um, I remember a winemaker telling me once that um, a, a male winemaker said to her, like, women actually are better winemakers. Uh, because they are better caretakers mm-hmm. and there's a lot of handholding and right. a lot of of care that goes into every bottle of wine um i'm going to ask you a couple more questions on that but you no know, this i really want to focus in on how do you become part of seller 503 it's a uh, seller503.com it is yep it's a great c e l l a r 503.com how do you how do you how do you 
inter- how do you be- engage with your wonderful company? So go to the website, check us out. You can see a whole list of all of the wines we have featured, all of the wineries we have featured. This is a great time to join because we ha- just released our Black Friday special, oh, wow. which if you join right now, your first month is only a dollar. That's mm. just $1 for your first month. Um, people can choose from monthly or quarterly memberships. They can choose a red only, white only, or mixed membership. So you can really create the membership that works for you. Do you guys do rosé or do you do We do do yeah. rosé. In fact, we are featuring a rosé this month in our Thanksgiving shipment because I think rosé is the perfect wine yeah. for Thanksgiving. Yeah, I love rosé. Um, I, I rosé, rosé all day. Yep. Um, um, I'm curious... Uh, uh, let's talk about, uh, can we, can I come to your sh- shop? Absolutely. So we have a tasting room in Southwest Portland. We are open the third weekend of each month, um, for our tasting events, our SIP 503 tasting events, which are open to the public. We bring in our featured winemakers. Anybody can come taste the wines, meet the winemakers. Free parking in that neighborhood. Free parking in that neighborhood. We're also open the third Wednesday of each month from five to seven for a happy hour kind of Mm. after work event. Um, Let's talk about Thanksgiving. Um, rosé is a good... What's a good rosé that you're... What is the rosé you're featuring right now? So we're uh, featuring this month William Marie Wines, which mm. is an urban winery here in Portland. Mm. Um, Ed Lefferts and his wife, Monique. His middle name is uh, William. Her middle name is Marie, which is why it's William Marie Wines. And they love big reds. They do mm. a lot of Cabernet. They do a lot of Syrah, getting their grapes from Eastern Washington. And so they've done a rosé of Syrah. Wow. That is a bigger, heavier kind of winter style rosé. So it's a great choice for Thanksgiving because it makes people happy who like red, who like white. It's got enough acidity to really cut through the richness of the Thanksgiving meal. And it has a beautiful um, sort of cranberry notes that go really well with Thanksgiving dinner. Um, So I have to ask you a question. Do you ever do tours with, because you are Cellar 503, because you are dealing with, uh, I assume, wineries that are next to waterfalls in <laughs> the middle of nowhere, like mm-hmm. Hood River. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some great wineries up there. Oh and gosh, I, I, I just love, River, love yeah. and there's this thing you can do, a wine and waterfall tour that you can pretty much do on your own. But I was wondering yeah. if you if you have a map, if you have suggestions, if you do tours, if you plan to do tours, if you is that something you would love to do? I would love to do more of that. I have partnered with a couple of wine wine tour companies in the past to put together um, day long trips that people can sign up for. We did one out in Hood River. We've done one out in the Forest Grove Hillsboro mm-hmm. area. Um, this next summer, I'm going to be doing a whole week down in Ashland mm-hmm. um, with a bunch of winery partners down there and uh, one of my days I'm going to put together a wine tour trip um, for anybody who wants to join us down in southern Oregon do you see poor going on the road Ooh, that's a great question uh it's a lot of work to put on poor 55 wineries and this Mm. year we had close to a thousand people um, attend so it probably will stay in the portland area but i definitely am working on sort of a mobile tasting room concept to visit a couple of places each summer Um, i'm going to partner with our friends over at silver julep who have this amazing mobile bar and an airstream trailer and we're going to work together on visiting the coast and visiting southern oregon um, to bring people to taste uh, more wines from all over the state. What's an up-and-coming AVA in uh, 
And what is an AVA? Should we should say that? Uh, an AVA is an American Viticulture Area. It is an area that is designated by the federal government as having unique qualities to the wine from that geographic mm. area. So, for example, the entire state of Oregon is its own AVA, and then there are smaller and smaller AVAs, sort of like nesting dolls within the state. Willamette Valley is one, and then you get down to small ones like Ribbon Ridge. Um, and they all have something unique to those particular wines that kind of holds them together. And what's an up-and-coming one? Which Once one you're kind of excited and kind of nobody really pays attention to, but you are. Um, I love the rocks at Milton Freewater, which is a sort of obnoxiously long name. Um, but it is over in eastern Oregon as part of the Walla Walla Valley AVA. Um, and I thought it was a silly name until I went over there and visited. And it is such a distinct distinguishing characteristic of those vineyards. They have enormous rocks in the ground. The vines are literally growing through these giant rock piles. So and kind of like Mars or uh, it, on the moon. You're it like, really feels like a different place. Okay. Um, and it only happens in this small area. And the wines have a distinctive minerality to them that I think is really unique. So I love that ABA. Um, as you promote and tell the stories of these smaller winemakers do you think there's too many wineries in oregon are we are we are we saturated are we are what's i mean let's talk about cannabis you know cannabis is my understanding is where the market is saturated and Mm -hmm. most of the stuff that's being produced will never be smoked or sold or and i was wondering if we're it it doesn't look like it's an easy thing to do to become a winemaker. It, it looks like not. a lot of work. And yeah. it looks like you don't get to take vacations. <laughs> Ever. Ever. Yeah, I mean, the wineries have grown, have doubled in Oregon since I started Cellar 503. Wow. So when I started, we were at 400. Now we're at over 800. Uh-huh. Um, I think saturation is a great question. I think there's always going to be a market for really good, interesting, high-quality wines. I think a lot of people who get into the wine business don't know how to sell their wine. Right. And, and you help them. I help them, absolutely. I can't tell you the number of winemakers who are like, well, I just loved wine and I wanted to make some. And now, oh my gosh, I have to figure out how to sell all right. of this wine. So I think that people who are getting into the wine business really need to have some realistic expectations about how hard it is to sell their product. Do you look at wine, these small winemakers, you know, we're, we're in NetSpace. NetSpace is all about startups. And I was wondering if you think of, of, uh, these winemakers as startups Mm -hmm. and are these people, you know, a lot of startups don't make it. Yep. And I was wondering if a lot of these small wineries don't make it either. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I have probably half a dozen folks that I've worked with in the five years um, that have gone out of business for Mm. one reason or another, retirement, or they just figured out that it just wasn't a sustainable model. Right. Um, One of the things I love about the urban winery movement is it really helps young people and just starting up wineries get started in a much more economically viable way. They're not having to go out and spend, you know, hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars on a plot of land and then build a building they can really start at a shared facility where they can buy the grapes and really define who they are and figure out how to sell before they go out and and spend all this money on land and tanks and all that kind of stuff so i think the urban winery movement is really helping people focus in and be more successful getting started and let's talk about wine clubs because some people look at them as like timeshares you know like (laughs) you know like oh my god what did i get myself into right you know and like uh i won't talk about this place in hood river but i should that it has kind of a funny wine club thing it's kind of cute and it's kind of silly but 
it's also not very good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, so I was wondering, um, how can we... Well, one thing is that the wine enthusiast and, and your industry Bible, basically, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, just picked you as one of the top... 10 wine clubs in the country yeah we're super thrilled with that that's amazing it is amazing how did you how did you see that one coming or i did not actually it was a a good friend of mine who is a in the wine business in southern oregon and um is uh cohorts with the writer um they're going through their masters of wine together and she recommended that the that the writer come check me out and so i was um yeah thrown for a loop and absolutely thrilled with and how has that changed your business a bit well, definitely have seen an uptick in inquiries and, um, you know, interest from people, especially around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just been a thrill to get recognized by such a prestigious. Yeah. Do most of your customers come from Oregon or for outside Oregon? About half of our members are inside Oregon and half are around the country. So and we how far do you ship? We ship everywhere it's legally allowable to ship to, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, so we have members in about 28 different states around the country. And are you able to ship internationally? Nope. That have sucks. to have a special license to do that. That sucks. Someday, That's, someday. Because it'd be great to have uh, Solar 50 have some of your wines in France. Yeah, it would be know? amazing. Um, um, uh, let me see. What else did I want to ask you about? Um, do you see yourself doing this for a lo- much longer? I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I think there's amazing stories to be able to be told over and over and over again in the state. Um, I Do you would... miss the politics? Do you miss the... No. No. You don't no. Miss... Winemakers are much nicer than politicians. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I love being able to get out into the state and really feel like I'm making a difference for the Oregon wine community um, and and really helping people dive deeply into all of these wine regions. Um, So, yeah, I hope that I'm doing this in another five or 10 years. I would love to think about opening tasting rooms in Mm -hmm. other parts of the state um, to really make an impact. Um, But we'll see how things go. Um, and any other, it, what's, what's been, what was the worst day of your work experience? Oh, geez. Worst. Or, day. you know, I just, I'd love to hear if you have one unusual story, one story that you're like, oh, I don't know if I've gotten the right gig. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. I, you know, I think that I have a pretty good sense of the kind of wines that my, um, club members like that are going to be popular, but it's always nerve wracking yeah. every single month before I release the wines. I have a moment of panic of like, oh my gosh, I'm serving a rosé this month as a red wine. Is anybody going to drink it right. or am I going to get, you know, bad feedback on yeah. that? Right. So I have that moment of panic every month and okay. 90% of the time people love the wine, but I always like to say, if you are drinking a lot of wine, you're going to drink bad wine and right. you're going to drink wine that you don't like. Right. And we try really hard not to have that happen, but it's part of, you know, who you are and exploring wine and figuring out what you like and what you don't like. Right. And what is, before we wrap up here, what is, uh, what is a good way if, so I'm going to, if I wanted to join wine seller, I mean, uh, seller 503, what would, what would be a good, just a beginning, like getting my toe wet kind of thing? 
Well, I think um, it depends on if you like red or white wine more. Mm. Um, I like the mixed option because you're getting an opportunity to taste some red wine and taste some white wine at the same time. Mm. Um, You know, our our two bottles of wine per month are mixed is our most popular option for sure. That gives people really a good taste of of what's going on in the club. Um, For people who really enjoy drinking wine, um, I think the best one is our four bottles a month mixed because you get to taste one of everything that right. we have featured for that month. Yeah, and a b- bottle of wine a week is, is sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, and then what are you serving for Thanksgiving? Um, well, the wines that we picked this month, I think, are fabulous with Thanksgiving. So we did a very traditional Willamette Valley Pinot Noir from Youngberg Hill. I think they make high-quality Pinot. Youngberg. They're so They're awesome. So good, so good. Biodynamic, just really good, solid. I think I met them at Poor. Yeah. Absolutely. They're there every year. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the rosé of Syrah is definitely a little pushing the boundaries for, for people who, you know, think that you must have red wine all the time for any big meal. And and I think it's a great addition. And then we also did a Pinot Blanc from Ayers Vineyard, which is down in Ribbon Ridge in the Newburgh area. Also a super high quality producer, mostly Pinot Noir, but they have a little bit of Pinot Blanc that's high acid that's going to really complement all of the, the Thanksgiving dishes. And then our fourth wine is Carlton Cellars down in Carlton. Again, another wonderful place. Stellar wine. And it is their Robin's Block Field Blend. It's a blend of Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc, and Auxerrois. And it's got a tiny little bit of sweetness to it, which is just beautiful with all of the heavy dishes at Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm so ready to drink a glass of wine uh i thank you so much for uh taking time out it's a very busy time for you a very busy schedule uh to talk about uh seller 503 at seller503.com carrie you're the best uh say hi to your husband carrie i will thank Uh, you so much he's an amazing man um and is there anything else that you'd like to share and make sure you get out there before we go just have fun drinking wine. Uh, drinking wine should be approachable and affordable and fun. And um, that's what we try to do at Cellar 503 is help people really explore different things that they've never tried before. That's great. I love you all. Uh, see you on the other side uh, of the next episode. I, uh, I just love this episode. Thank you so much. And we'll uh, love you all. Bye. Thank you. I'm your voiceover talent, Maria Webster. Thank you for listening to PDX-ish. And a big thanks to Byron's guests, producer and sometimes co-host Mark Grimes, Bigfoot Podcast Studio, NetSpace, and Willamette Week. Join us next week for a new episode of PDX-ish. We love you all.